right, so today we are going to dig in uh, into a series that we've been on over the last couple of weeks. And we've been tackling this question of why. Why should we be generous? Why? And in this, in this series, what we've been seeing is that we should uh, not only, that, 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 that we're not just called to be generous, but that we're called to live generously, right? See, there is a difference when it comes to giving generously. Most people do it circumstantially. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. You feel generous or you somehow feel a little benevolent. And so you go out of your way to be generous. It can be around the holidays. It can be around a birthday. It could be because somehow you feel compelled to do it. You feel something towards someone in that moment and you give generously. That's great. But let me ask you a question. Is it a lifestyle? See, there's a difference between giving generously and living generously. And when you live generously, it is more than just circumstantial. It's not just around an event or a moment. It's something that you live continuously. Let me give you a scripture, some, scripture, some scriptural context for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, starting at verse 9, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, neighbor, God has given you. Seed to, sow, seed to sow, and bread to eat. Now, I know for some of you, you're expecting that we're going to take a second offering. Don't worry about it. We're not doing that. That's not what this is about. But what I want you to see is that God supplies. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And it says that he will also supply and increase your store of seed. Your store of seed. Notice what God increases. It's not your bread. It's your seed, right? That was free. You need to chew on that. And it says, and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Watch this, verse 11. You will be enriched in how many ways? In every way. Come on, we could do better than that. In every way so that you can be generous. Watch this, on every occasion. On every occasion. And through us, watch this, here's the goal of generosity. And through us, your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen. See, generosity is really about worship. It's about worship unto God. Now, I want you to consider something else, that it's not simply just worship unto God. Generosity isn't about what we do for people. <laughs> it's really about what God is doing to us. Generosity is not for someone else. Generosity, my friends, is for you and me. It's for you and me. We're called to be generous not only because we worship God with our generosity, but because God is trying to do something to us. God is trying to impact you and I. I don't know if you've ever thought about generosity that way, but it is scriptural. And when we withhold, when we cease to be generous, when we hold back, literally what we are doing is we are stopping the very thing that God is trying to do to us. And so in week one, we learned that generosity changes our heart. The truth is that God is not after your money. <laughs> God is after your heart. And if you look at scripture, what you'll see is that Jesus spoke more about this issue of money than anything else. And there's a reason why. 
It's because the heart is closely attached to possession, to money. And so in week two, we saw that generosity, generosity changes your situation. Right? We saw that whether you believe in Christ or not, we all operate under a kingdom principle, God's kingdom principle, which is what you sow, you reap. And so God wants to impact our circumstances, and generosity is a portal to that. Well, today I want to invite you to get close and personal with God. I really want to stress this. I know I say this, and for some of us, it almost, it's almost cliche to you when you hear me say it because you're used to hearing it. But I really want you to just lean into God and his word. I'm not here to give you my opinion. I want you to consider what God wants to do to you through this issue of generosity. Amen? Amen. And so today we're going to discuss the topic, it takes two. Say that with me. It takes two. It takes two. How many? Two. two. Somebody wave two fingers at me. It takes two. Listen, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we just read, we can see that there is a direct relationship. There is a correlation between living generously and receiving generously. And right in the middle, the bridge that exists that makes these two things possible and causes this flow is a heart that is inclined to operate in partnership with God. You know what generosity is? Generosity is a result of you and God working together. That's what generosity is. It's you and God working together in partnership. And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, we have the account of a woman who found herself in a bad situation. The way the scripture tells it, her husband, who was, he was part of the company of prophets. And in those days, uh, in, in those particular days, he was, he was part of the company of the prophets. And all of a sudden, he dies. And when he dies, he leaves a debt to a creditor. And this creditor, the scripture says, comes calling for the fulfillment of that debt. And so because this woman didn't have it and because her sons couldn't provide it either, according to those times and the customs and the laws, this man did what was right according to the laws. What he did was he took her sons as slaves. Now, in this day and age, of course, we wouldn't do that. But that's what they would do back then to satisfy a debt that could, go un that, that could not be paid. And so when the prophet Elisha comes to town, the scripture says that she reports this matter to Elisha. Now, you've got to understand that Elisha was God's man, God's tool, so to speak. In those days, the Spirit of God did not dwell in men. And so when Elisha showed up as the prophet, it was like God himself showed up. And this guy Elisha shows up, and she comes to Elisha, she says, Elisha, my sons have been taken as slaves. They, 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 I owe, my husband is now dead, and he owed this debt, and, and what am I to do? And the Bible says that Elisha responded to her and asked her, what do you have in your house? Now, I want you to consider that, because it's an odd question in the place of need, Right? It's, it's, it's odd because, after all, you're asking for uh, help. You're asking for assistance. You're asking for a need to be met. And in essence, God says to you and I, well, what do you have? What do you have? And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, the second part of verse 2, listen to what she says to him. She says, your servant 
has nothing there at all. She says, I don't have anything. And then she says this, except a small jar of olive oil. And so we got to get the magnitude of what's happening here. Up until this point, this woman believed she had nothing. She believed she had nothing. And thus, she finds herself in despair. You ever been there where you find yourself in need? And you, you, you convince yourself, I have nothing. I want you to think about that for a moment. Closer review of this account reveals that she had everything she needed. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you have everything you need. Even in a place of need. Because she had something that God could use to fill. And when you believe you have nothing, let me tell you what you still have. You still have skill. You still have opportunity. You still have life. You still have breath. Let me just put it very plain to you. If you're not dead, you're not done. There is always opportunity, especially for you, believer. See, because God is the one that provides seed to sow and bread to eat. That is God's will. The scripture says that he rains down on the wicked and the just. He provides for all. But not all take that provision and do something with it. And so the scripture says that this woman had something that she could fill. It was a small jar of oil. And so Elijah instructs her to go and ask all her neighbors for as many empty jars as they could provide. And so she goes out and she sends her sons and they, they start knocking on doors and they say, Hey, do you have any empty jars? And see, for people, they have an empty jar, and they go, oh, sure, this is useless to me. But let me tell you, you are never empty of provision. As long as you begin to apply the principles of the kingdom. We're going to dig into this a little bit more. And so verse 4 and 5 provides us a powerful lesson for us to consider. It says, then go, Elijah said to her, then go outside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Listen to what he says. And pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. So watch this. Here's literally what happens. She takes the small jar that she has with olive oil. And God says to her, use that small jar and take the empty jars and pour oil. Now common sense says, there's no way that this is going to work. If I pour this oil out, I'll have none left. No, God says, you use what I've given you, and you watch how the provision flows. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I can assure you that each and every one of us has experienced that. Because I know everyone in this room and online has a story where they say, I don't know how it worked. But I will tell you, I know who worked it. God is your provider. And so he says to her, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse 5, and she left him, and she shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her, and she kept 
pouring. She kept pouring. You know, generosity takes using what you have wisely and coupling it with God's provision so that it meets your needs and that of others. I want you to consider something here. It's an important point that I want you to wrap your head and your heart around. And if you're taking notes, I want to strongly encourage you to write this down for yourself. I want you to take a mental note of this and go back to this. A generous lifestyle is the cup that we place in God's hands to fill. So long as you and I are generous, we live generously. Here's what happens. You can always bank on God filling your cup because God is interested in filling others through you. And so generosity, a generous lifestyle, is the cup that we place in God's hands to fill. It's you making yourself available for God. Verse 7 reveals that because of her willingness to follow God's plan of partnership, get this, it took two. She says, I have nothing. God says, I've given you everything. Now do what I'm telling you to do. You see how partnership works? Partnership works not based on what you have. It, It works based upon following after the one who commands you to do so. And so God calls us to be generous. And so all the jars that she had were filled. The scripture says in verse 7 that she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Watch this. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now get this. She went looking for a remedy for her debt, and God provided for more than her debt. That's powerful. God's not just interested in your needs. We got to remember what Jesus said. I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. What makes you think that if God is so big that you're supposed to live so small? It doesn't match up. Your God is a big God. Somebody say, I serve a big God. Come on now. Now, if you believe that, then you've got to begin to make room for a big God to do big things in your life and through your life. That's good news. And so we learn from that. Now, I got to back up here because I'm starting to get a little excited here. I want you to notice that the provision did not only address her debt. Didn't just address the need. It addressed the rest of their lives. And so we learn from this that living generously is impossible. Watch why. Living generously is impossible without partnership with God. It's impossible. This woman was willing to partner with God. She was willing to do the irrational. She was willing to follow after what the prophet, the man of God, God himself in essence speaking through this man, what he was calling her to do. And it led to her receiving generously and also living generously. 
And so if we're to truly appreciate partnership, we must understand that living generously is not a matter of what we give. Living generously is not a matter of what we give. It's more so a matter of what we do with what God provides before we ever give from it. And that leads us to an important point. Don't ask me to repeat that again because I can't. You're going to have to go catch this online afterwards. That was good. I'm still chewing on that myself. But here's my point. Here's my point. If you're going to live generously, something has to be happening beforehand. See, a generous lifestyle also takes our part of the partnership, which is stewardship. It's wise management, right? See, partnership is a lot like walking, right? You ever go on a walk? Come on now. You walked in here today. (laughs) You walked in here today. Have you ever thought about what it takes to walk, right? We take that for granted. But let me put it to you this way. It takes two legs walking in partnership, right? It takes a bunch of bones and muscles and Ligaments and all that other extra stuff working together to get somewhere. And generosity is a lot like walking. It's partnership, right? Partnership between two operating in balance so that we can get somewhere. And most of us want to live in the blessing of God. But few live to be a blessing. If you live to be a blessing. Now, if the shoe fits, don't wear that. It's time to change that. I believe that there are some of us that today's the day we make a decision and we say, you know what? I'm done with just kind of trying to do this on my own. I believe that for some of us, today's the day where you begin to understand what partnership is with God and what generosity is really about. See, when it comes to financial generosity, it takes two legs to walk a blessed life. It takes two legs to walk a blessed path. Think of it this way. If you are generous but a terrible manager of your finances and spend carelessly, right? So I'm generous in church. Great. But if you don't manage your funds well in your private life, in your home, then the truth is this. You will still be a hot mess financially. On the other hand, if you're a good manager of your finances, but are not generous financially, why would you expect God's blessing to work on your behalf? Now, I know what some of us are thinking, right? We're thinking, well, you know, but I manage, I, I'm, I'm blessed financially, and I don't, I'm not necessarily generous, if you're being honest, you know, with yourself. You know, I'm not saying that's everyone here or anyone here. But if it applies, I want you to think about this. The truth is this, that you might be financially well, but you're a slave to that money. Because it has your heart. So you can be finan- you can have finances. But if you don't live generously... You're not free at all. You're a slave. You got you to chew on that. You know, I remember one time years ago, 
uh, we went out with a bunch of friends and we went out bowling. And if there's one thing you got to know about Pastor Jose is this, that Pastor Jose is super competitive, right? Super competitive. Don't, don't, don't applaud that, brother. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> I am super competitive. It's, it's one of the reasons why I, I kind of don't get involved in everything all the time because, yeah, I, I get very competitive. So we were, we were bowling, and, and I had gotten two strikes in a row. And you got to understand that for me, when it comes to bowling, I'm horrible at bowling. So to get two strikes in a row is like a big deal. And I'm about to go, and guys say, oh, man, he's going to bowl a turkey. He's going to bowl a turkey, which means three strikes in a row. So I'm all hype. I'm all excited. And I go, and I take my shot, and I hit the wax. I go past the line, and my, my leg, I, I, I go up in the air, and when I'm coming down, my foot goes this way. My right foot goes this way. My knee goes that way, and my weight went completely down. And needless to say, I had a couple of minor tears in my ankle, my, my, my knee looked like a football, um, and I was on crutches, and I was commuting to the city at that time to work, and it was the worst thing to go commuting with a bag and computer and files every day, and crutches is horrible, but I'll tell you why I share that with you, because during that time, I was not walking balanced, let me tell you what I mean. While I had crutches, I was not depending on one of my legs. I was depending on a crutch. And as long as I was depending on a crutch, while I had the ability to move, I was hobbled. I was limited. Now, I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because in like manner, there are many that are financially walking with crutches because one of their legs isn't working properly. Oh, you're moving. But you're limited. You're hurting. See, they're either generous and the management leg is broken, or they're good managers, but the generosity leg is broken. When either leg is broken, you can't walk in financial freedom. You can't. And I want you to understand something. God wants you to be financially free. God wants you to be financially free. In Luke 16, 11, Jesus said this, So if you have not been trustworthy in, in, worthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And so in this verse, Jesus summed up a parable that he just shared pertaining to the fact that God entrusts us with his provision. But what we see in this parable, and I encourage you to go check it out on your own time, what we see is that he holds us accountable to manage finances well. God holds you and I accountable to manage finances well. Here's a good question to ask yourself right now. How well are you managing what God has entrusted to you? And here's what we got to begin. This is the paradigm that needs to begin to shift. It's not yours. It's not ours. God gives us the power to create wealth. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But I want you to see that God expects you and I to manage the resources that are entrusted to us. And in this parable, if you study it, what we see is that the steward 
who had been entrusted with much, he suffered much loss because he was unfaithful to manage what he had. So you got to ask yourself this question. How am I managing what God has entrusted me? See, God desires that we have two financially healthy legs. Legs that are balanced and working together. And so I want to give you just some scriptural context, some, some biblical wisdom on how to manage your part of the partnership. Because God has done his part. But the question we're doing ours, I can assure you I'm not giving you no super heavy revies. Some of these things you've probably considered. But the question you have to reconcile today is, am I actually doing what the word of God calls me to do? And so the first thing I want to leave you with today is that it starts with knowing what you have. Say that with me. It starts with knowing what you have. Someone's thinking right now, because I can hear you. You say, that's exactly why I can't be generous. Because I know that I don't have it. Stop. That's not what we're referring to. Listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. It says, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. So let me give you some background on the meaning here. Flocks in these days, when this was written, were the equivalent of money because it was an agricultural system. It depended on sheep and animals and the land that you possessed, the harvest, the crop that you raised and you tended to. And so when the scripture says, know the state of your flocks, it's referring to being intimately aware of what is going on with your finances. In this day and age, it's what we would refer to as a budget. Now, I know right about now some of you are going, oh, okay, I really don't need to hear this. Let me ask you a question. I want, I want, not a question, but let me, let me propose something to you. A good shepherd knows how many animals he has. He understands their health. He discerns what they need to remain healthy. Why? Because in applying himself to discern these things, he's able to understand how many more sheep he can have, how much more milk they can produce, how much wool he can get from them, how much clothing can come from them, how much meat he can reap. In other words, he understands that what I do with these sheep today determines how much more I can get from them tomorrow. So here's a question for you to ask yourself. And I want you to be honest with you. Don't shout yourself out. Do you even have a budget? Do you even take the opportunity to care and understand what comes in and what goes out? And maybe you do have a budget, but you know, what's a budget if you don't have a plan to follow through it? See, this is important. Without a monthly budget that tells you what's coming in and what is going out, you can't even begin to think about tomorrow because you don't even have a handle on today. 
In Luke, Jesus alludes to the power of counting the cost of being a disciple through the example of a person who uses a budget. Listen to this in Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. Don't begin. Don't even make a move until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. You know where this person went wrong in this parable? They didn't have a budgetary plan. They didn't even take the time to consider what they actually have. Listen, before you can build for tomorrow, you must be one that counts today. Everybody wants to be blessed. Many professors want to be a blessing. But if you don't even do the basics, like knowing and understanding and discerning and being familiar with what your financial situation is, don't ever expect to prosper. Somebody say, that's good news. Man, I pray you believe that. Because I'm telling you, this is, this is foundational to financial freedom. Listen, just like a good shepherd puts his heart to caring for the sheep that are entrusted to him, a good steward, somebody say, that's me. A good steward puts his heart to caring for the wealth entrusted to him by not only having a budget, but sticking to it. So careful review of your budget will tell you if you have more month left than you do money. You got to think about that. If that's you, here's the reality. You'll have to decide where you have to make some deep cuts. And they may hurt. But you know, sometimes you got to cut some fat in order to get healthy. That's a cost. That's a cost. Oh, but I need my internet access. Says who? Do you depend on that for work? Because if your job does not depend on that, then maybe that's a place to start. That's hard for some people. Some people don't want to hear that. You'd rather be broke and have your phone. Well, let's not go there. Let's not go there. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but, I, but we really got to think about this. Are you counting the cost, right? Maybe you might have to make some deep cuts in your spending. Maybe you might have to trim down on what you prefer to eat, right? Maybe you have to seek other streams of income. Maybe you do have to take an extra shift. There's nothing wrong with that. See, God provides for the one who follows after the provision. You've got to put yourself in position to reap that. You can't begin to be financially free until you learn to count the costs and then act according to it. 
The second point I want to leave you with here is that unless you have a savings plan, all you have is a plan to fail. I'm going to say that again. Unless you have a savings plan, all you have is a plan to fail. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. Oh, I have a savings account. What's the plan for it? What's the plan for it? Statistics show that 35% of adult Americans today have only several hundred dollars in their savings. They also show that another 34% have zero dollars in their savings account. That's 69% of people today who have a savings plan. And you know what that savings plan is? It's a plan to fail. It's a plan to fail. Listen to Proverbs 21.20. It says, there is desirable treasure. Somebody say with me, desirable treasure. Everybody gets excited about that. Wait till you hear what we're talking about. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man squanders it. The Hebrew here defines the words desirable treasure in the dwelling of the wise as a storehouse. So literally, this is the way it reads. There is a storehouse and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man, watch what a foolish man does. He squanders it. He doesn't think about money. He doesn't think about the responsibility. He doesn't think about tomorrow. He literally just wastes it. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. I'll pay for today, not worrying about tomorrow. Or I'll pay it tomorrow so I can reap it today. Doesn't work. We're going to talk about that in a second. And so if you're going to apply God's wisdom, you have to understand something. God's wisdom calls for a storehouse. A storehouse. Listen, the wise have a storehouse. The wise have a savings plan. Do you have a savings plan? So if you're going to apply God's wisdom, here are two things to know about saving. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Listen, filling a storehouse should be a lifetime process, not a short-term fix. Now, I get it. We live in a day and age where we live at the speed of fast. We want everything fast, including wealth. It's the reason why scratch-offs make a lot of money. It's why there are people constantly trying to figure out the shortest distance to making the most money. And there's nothing wrong in that in and of itself. But here's the truth. That the few stories that we hear about people that made it big in a short period of time, those are the anomaly. And before you ever judge what they've been able to do in a short period of time, you don't know the history that it took them to get there. And what, so here's what I'm trying to say to you. Filling a storehouse is a long-term process. So instead of playing the short game, you know what the short game is? I'm trying to make the most money I can right now today. You know what the short game is? Saving for things you want for today. Instead of saving for the short-term game, 
play the long game. Save for the future with a plan. Let me ask you a question. According to the scripture, it says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How many of you are thinking about your grandkids and the inheritance you're supposed to leave them? Does your savings plan even include that? I want you to think about that. Does your savings plan include advancing the kingdom of God? You have to have a plan. You know, being generous in the kingdom of God takes intentionality. It should be a part of your budget. Well, that was free. Listen, do you have a plan with your savings to be a blessing in greater measure? When you get an increase, do you think about your increase or do you think about how that increase gives you the ability to be a greater blessing? Does that even factor in to what you do? You know what I have? And, and listen, I'm, I'm not boasting in me. I'm not. But I made, me and my wife made this decision many years ago. And this was in the lean times. We said, we want to be generous with our giving. And then I remember meeting a gentleman uh, quite a few years ago at a, some, some pastor's function that I was at. And this gentleman, he's a well-known author. I, I, I don't profess to know him like that. But it was interesting, this gentleman was, was in the room, and, and I was listening to him talking with a few of his friends, and, and they're talking about his watch. And they go, hey, uh, where'd you get that watch from? And he goes, oh, this, this Casio, I bought it at Walmart. Amen. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, such and such has this, and this one has that, and very nice watches. And he says, let me ask you a question. How, what time does your watch say? Mine says the same thing. But here's what I didn't know about that man that I came to find out later. He's a reverse tither. You know how he lives his life? He tithes 90% of his income. And he lives on 10%. And you know what kingdom strategy God gave him? Write a book. Till this day, that book is one of the most, the most, the most published, purchased books in this day. Till this day. And so we made a decision years ago. We said, we want to be generous. So every year, my tithing goes up. Our tithing goes up by a percent. I hope to one day be able to just bless and bless and bless. Why? Because our heart is after the kingdom of God. See, uh, why don't I share that with you? Because you've got to have a plan for generosity in the kingdom. Got to have a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I want you to see what increase requires. Godly increase requires a plan. The plans of the diligent. It requires a plan and it requires diligence. It requires a savings plan and it requires discipline. Do you have a savings plan for emergencies? 
Are you prepared if your water heater goes? Being very practical about this. Do you even have, how many, if you're a homeowner, I want you to just consider this. Or, or if you have your own place or you, you know, whatever capacity. Do you even have $1,000 just in case something goes wrong in your home? You should have that. You should have that. And if you don't, don't feel bad. Start working towards it. See, the diligent, the diligent, the disciplined in the kingdom, they have a plan. Do you have a plan for your legacy? Those that will come after you, do you have a plan for your children's education? Do you have a plan for your latter years? Do you have a plan for your giving? Once you have a plan, then you can be diligent. Can I just speak to some of you young people? Not picking on you, but I want you to think about this. If all you do is think about what you want today without thinking about tomorrow, you'll ruin today. You'll ruin today. You will ruin it. You will ruin tomorrow today. Why? Because you're not thinking according to the wise. God is calling us to be diligent today so that we can reap abundance tomorrow. Amen? Amen. And so, here's, here's just some practical wisdom. Don't save what is left after spending. Spend what is left after saving. I'm going to say that again because you, you need to write that one down. Don't, don't save what is left after spending. That's how many people approach saving, any efforts. Spend what is left after saving. Listen closely. If God's will for the wise is that we have a storehouse and you haven't saved anything, then understand this, that scripturally you don't have the right to spend anything. We don't have the right to because we haven't even started doing what the scripture calls us to. Listen closely. I'm giving you seeds for financial freedom. Very basic. But it is so powerful if we would just heed the wisdom of God's word. Amen? So God wants us to be generous. But we got to tend to our leg. And these are just some things that will help you. Here's some other things real quick, and I got to close. Break the, break the consumer cycle. The word consume, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, means to destroy, to do away with completely. And this is what we tend to do with money. So instead of consuming money, consume what consumes your money. You know what that is? Consume debt. I'm going to tell you something right now, believers. Because what we are seeing in this day and age is just the beginning of some more difficult times. But guess what? For you, you can be like a Joseph. That in the leanest times, you can abound with God's abundance. But here's what it takes. You got to have a plan for how you consume your debt. 
Deuteronomy 28, 12 says this, The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Now, I want you to, I want to hone in on that last part. You shall not borrow. Somebody say that with me. You shall not borrow. Now, make it a little bit more personal. I shall not borrow. The kingdom of God is not made up of borrowers. It consists of lenders. God's plan and desire is to open up his good treasury to you and I. To rain his provision upon us. But listen closely to what the scripture says. It's in its season. The number one reason why people get into debt is because they don't take the time to learn the lessons available in lean seasons. And according to the words of Jesus, before you can be faithful with much, it's preceded by a season where you're faithful with little. See, debt is the act of spending money you don't have so that money can have you. I'm going to say that again. Debt is the act of spending money you don't have so that money can have you. Every time you run up that credit card bill, I can assure you, you are doing something ungodly. Why? Because who told you that you're supposed to use money and then pay interest on the money for what you're trying to buy? Oh, but I can pay it off. Do you understand how much more you're paying in interest? That's not God's, that's not God's kingdom plan. See, maybe you're in a lean season because you're just getting started. Or maybe it's because of wasteful spending. Either way, what you need right now isn't more money. And let me say this because somebody needs to hear this. And it isn't more credit. It isn't more credit. What you need is to do what is necessary in this season. If you find yourself in the lean season, here's some of the things that you should be learning along the way. You should be learning what contentment is. I can't have that right now. And if I can't afford it right now, then here's what it tells me. I don't need it right now. In lean seasons, we learn contentment. In lean seasons, we learn to save wisely instead of spending hastily. In lean seasons, you know, we should be learning to live within our means. In lean seasons, we, we learn the value of being faithful in our continual giving unto the Lord. I want to wrap this up. But wealth has nothing to do with money. You need to know this. Wealth has nothing to do with money. Wealth is the correct application of power. Wealth by the world's standards is an illusion because we believe that the more money we have, it equates to greater wealth. But listen to what the scripture says, Deuteronomy 8.18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power 
to get wealth. Somebody say power. power. Notice what God doesn't give you. God doesn't give you money. God gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. See, wealth is not measured by money. It's measured by the use of the opportunities that are laid up for you and I to apply by the use of our hands. Notice when this woman was lacking, what did God say to her through Elisha? What do you have? If you can get up and walk with two feet and move your arms, you still have ability to use your body for something. But my back hurts. Can I say this with all due respect? Suck it up, buttercup. You can still move. So long as you have ability and opportunities, can I tell you, because I know that for some people today, you know, we say, man, you know, there's so many people not working. Why? There's so many jobs available right now. More than ever before. Why? We got to question that. But let me tell you, that is the surest way to lack in life. There is always opportunity laid up for the righteous. Always opportunity. So money, according to what we see here, is supposed to work for you. You're not supposed to work for it. Wealth is power. It's the ability to apply yourself to use what's available to you. So for some of us, we view our jobs as a burden. <laughs> and what we fail to realize is that it's an opportunity that God has given you to create wealth. Some of us, we have innovative ideas. And we view them as distant dreams. But what we fail to realize is that they are actually present realities in the making. There's a woman that comes to this church who years ago was working in the school district. She did that for many years, and then all of a sudden she lost her job. Her, 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 her job opportunity ceased to exist. And at that moment, that woman was faced with a decision. And you know what she decided? She said, I'm tired of working a job that I don't love. You know what she did? She said, I'm going to go back and pursue what I've always had in my heart. She went back to school and made many sacrifices. And listen, today, she's a graduate from the Culinary Institute. Today, she has a successful pastry business. You know why? Because she got tired of viewing her dreams as distant. She started acting on that opportunity today. And today, she's so much better off. My friends, can I tell you that that's God's plan for you? The dreams that you have are meant to be realities, but are you doing something with them today? Are you using what God has given you? You know what else is power to create wealth? Investments. Listen, if you're not investing, according to financial experts, 15% 15, 15 of what you make should be going towards tomorrow. 15% of your income. You know what's one of the surest ways to multiply your financial means? Invest. You can invest, but if you're going to invest, invest in things that appreciate in value. 
If you have a desire to own a home and you have the opportunity, that's, that appreciates in value. Mutual funds appreciate in value. Insurance policies appreciate in value. You should be investing your money in something. About one person got that. <laughs> Last thing I want to leave you with here is this, is that partnership with God will never lead you wrong. Partnership with God will never lead you wrong. Let's stand here today. Philippians 1, chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, starting at verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Watch this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Philippian church, whom Paul was writing to here, was comprised of people that understood the power of partnership. These were people that were under duress, but they did not cease to be partners with God and his kingdom. And the reason why I share that with you is because Paul says this, I have this confidence that because of the generosity in you, because of your heart after God and your willingness to be a partner with God, I know that what God has started in you, he shall complete. He shall complete. My friends, we're not just called to be takers in the kingdom. We're called to be partners. I want you to get this before we close today. Without financial partnership, there is not true connection to the kingdom. That's a challenging statement. I know. I know. Because it gets right at the heart of what we hold dear. But you see, when we coexist with God as partners... Here's what we can be confident in. That God will complete what he's commissioned us to do. Because we understand that it takes two to truly walk in what God wants to do in our lives. Generosity is not about what God wants to do through you. It's about God. It's about what God wants to do to you. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.